Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. This is Here and Now Anytime. Glad to have you join us. We're wrapping up the year with a celebration, curating cool stuff for you today, looking back on the year we just had and looking forward to the year ahead. So go ahead and subscribe, follow, share. Let's get started. There's a lot going on under the surface. I, I kind of joke that this plays like The Real Housewives of Georgia is made by Ingmar Bergman. It is Friday, December 29th from NPR and WBUR Boston. Welcome to Here and Now Anytime. I'm Shirley Jihad. On the show today, food, music, movies. We are celebrating. This is the last Friday of 2023, and we are going to savor the best of the best of it all. Even as we say bye-bye to all that that was 2023. We've got Kathy Gunst cooking up some tasty treats. We've got the Alt-Latino team giving us a soundtrack to the year with some bonus alternative tracks. And first up, we are going to the movies to catch and pin what you may have missed. Robin Young has the list, beginning with a movie that has a dark premise with a comedic tint, sort of. In the new film Poor Things, Emma Stone stars as Bella Baxter, a young Victorian who's brought back to life by a scientist after killing herself. Bella is a blank slate, learning about life again, and as we hear in this scene, some of her efforts cause quite a bit of distress. Wedderburn became much weepy and sweary when he discovered my whoring. I find myself nearly jealous of the men's time with you rather than any moral aspersion against you. It is your body, Bella Baxter. Yours to give freely. I generally charge 30 francs. Well, that seems low. <laughs> Did we mention it's a comedy? Our film critic and friend Ty Burr put poor things at the top of the list of his favorite films of the past year. Ty, the longtime Boston Globe critic, now runs the Substack newsletter Ty Burr's Watch List. And at the end of this year, we want to know what we missed. Ty, welcome back. Thank you. Nice to be here. And talking more about poor things, Emma Stone and her director are getting a lot of press. Yes, Yorgos Lanthimos, the bad boy from Greece, who uh, a couple of years ago made The Favorite, also with Emma Stone. Poor Things is essentially the Frankenstein story with uh. a woman as the monster, or as the creation, let's just put it that way, who starts out as a blank slate, literally on the baby's level of understanding. And Emma Stone's performance is on a technical level kind of astounding because she's a grown woman playing a baby, moving like a baby, talking like a baby in a grown person's body. And it's just kind of <laughs> crazy to see. <laughs> and funny. And funny. It is a comedy, but it's also a, it's a comedy of ideas, which is a really unusual thing. Okay. Well, we have the whole list at herenow.org, but let's go on to another film you love from 2023. Perfect Days by Wim Wenders, the German director who, of course, directed the beautiful 1987 film Wings of Desire. We read that this, Perfect Days, is a co-German and Japanese production. Tell us more. Well, this is a movie that stars a Japanese actor named uh, Koji Yakusho, who's quite marvelous. Uh, he lives in Tokyo, and his job is cleaning out toilets, which sounds pretty low-key and low-grade. Um, but two things. The toilets in this movie are the most marvelously designed architectural <laughs> 
things. And the other point of the movie is that the more we learn about this man, and we really follow him day after day with the variations of his, his life, and he lives alone, the more we learn about him, the more that he, we learn that he has a backstory that makes him very interesting. Why is he doing this job? What about the people in his life that he is sort of avoiding? It reminded me very much of the Jim Jarmusch movie Patterson in that mm-hmm. it, it repeats over days, and you see the similarity and the variations of life. Um, it's an absolutely lovely, peaceful... It's one of those movies that makes you come out feeling like you've been at a spa. Um, <laughs> and Koji Yukusho gives a performance that's very low-key until a certain scene when every emotion is just there. Okay, so that's on our list, too. Perfect days. And I, I will go see anything by Vim Vendors. You're also suggesting a very different film, May-December. It stars Julianne Moore, Natalie Portman. Moore stars as Gracie, a seemingly ordinary Georgia housewife who agrees to let Elizabeth, an actress played by Portman, to spend some time researching her and her husband. Let's listen to a scene. We're obviously not giving the punchline away here. People are saying, but what about the punchline? But let's listen to a scene where Elizabeth is watching Gracie and her husband, again, researching them, and one of Gracie's friends is there, too. They're sweet, aren't they? Very. They're a very beloved part of this community. I can see that. So, what is it you love most about Gracie? She always knows what she wants. She's unapologetic. Well, things aren't entirely as they seem. This is based on a real-life news story that we covered. That's right. It's a fictionalized version of the Mary Kay Letourneau story. Julianne Moore's character, Grace, uh, 20 years earlier, has met and um, had an affair with a very young a 13-year-old. The movie takes place 20 years later after she's been out of jail. They've married. They have kids. And they're be- somebody's making a movie about it. And Natalie Portman's character is playing Julianne Moore's character, is playing Grace, and comes to hang out and study. And her being a fly on the wall, of course, this being a Todd Haynes movie, The Man Who Gave Us Far From Heaven and Carol and many, many other great films. There's a lot going on under the surface. I, I kind of joke that this plays like The Real Housewives of Georgia is made by Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> well, and to underscore what you just said, the student, the young man was 13. She was over 20 years older than him. Correct. Went to jail for it. And then, as you point out, they had a family with kids and were beloved, as we heard in that scene. Well, yes and no. And the more of the movie, and that scene that we heard takes place early in the film. And of course, the deeper we go into the film, the deeper we go into the psychodrama of right. them. And and one of the most touching aspects of May, December, is, which, by the way, I should say is already on Netflix. You can just dial that up tonight if you want. And I recommend it. Um, Um, One of the most touching aspects is Charles Melton, uh, who plays the grown boy who's now in in his 30s, actually the same age as Natalie Portman's character, which becomes an issue in the film as well. He plays a man that has been in denial for a long time, and in the course of the movie, light begins to seep in as to what actually happened to him. And he gives a tremendous performance. Okay, so May, December. I think I have a date with Netflix coming up. (laughs) Uh, Another film was one we loved as well because we spoke with the star, Paul Giamatti. Uh, This is The Holdovers. Uh, Paul Giamatti plays the cranky professor in a New England boarding school. And, you know, we felt like you think like, oh, it's going to be that genre (laughs) of, you know, cranky professors in New England boarding schools. But then it became so much more 
before. Yeah. Well, it's an Alexander Payne movie, uh, and his movies are always something more. Um, it's not Mr. Chips. It's not Dead Poets Society. It's got a little bit of acid in it. I knew it was an Alexander Payne movie when they had a, an insert shot of um, the Preparation H on the teacher's uh, sink. Um, okay, we're in for something a little not so you know touchy-feely here. Um, and uh, Giamatti's character, who is a cranky old disliked classics professor, uh, lives alone in his room in the dorms, uh, and he has to take care of a bunch of kids and eventually just one kid over the Christmas break. So it's about him and this kid who's played by a newcomer named Dominic Sessa, who actually was a student, a theater student at Deerfield. who they, Where they filmed it. Where they filmed Keep it. Keep your eye on him. Yeah, he's tremendous. Yeah. And uh, the third point of the triangle is Divine Joy Randolph as the lunch lady, who's also stuck over the holidays and is mourning her son, who has been killed in Vietnam. The movie takes place in 1970. And if I can add a personal note, as somebody who went to a Massachusetts private school in the 70s, this was like a Proustian Madeline just in terms of the cars, the music, the light, the food. And I don't speak highly of the food and the masters, the hair, <laughs> the hair everything. It was – I almost had PTSD. <laughs> okay. Uh, Paul Giamatti. And we'll, we'll link you to our interview with him in The Holdovers. Finally, we want to touch on a film that opened in theaters earlier this year. And it was on a lot of um, critics' best of lists, yes. past lives. Greta Lee as a young woman who's come to the U.S. from Korea as a child. And then, years later, comes her old boyfriend. Uh, tell us a little more about that. Well, the, the movie – and by the time – the movie takes place in three time periods, when they're children, when they're in their early 20s, and about 10 years later. The it becomes a story about what you the roads you didn't take in life, and it becomes a story about fate, which is discussed in the film uh, using a Korean f- a word called inyon. Uh, you have a scene here in which Greta Lee's character explains the concept. I think it comes from Buddhism and reincarnation. It's an inyon. If two strangers even walk by each other in the street and their clothes accidentally brush, because it means there must have been something between them in their past lives. Oy, this would mean that everyone in New York <laughs> had something to do with everyone on the street, but that is a lovely thought. It is a nice thought. Um, and it's a, it's a lovely movie. It's a, it's a small movie, and it's a first movie for the uh, director, Celine Song. Um, it's one of those movies that I kind of caution people about going into with too much hype, even though it's been on all these 10 mm. best lists. I saw it back at the beginning of the year at Sundance with an audience of hardened film critics and industry people weeping by the end. Oh. It's kind of a brief encounter sort of movie that makes it makes you sad, but in the kind of sad that makes you feel better or <laughs> special about life. Yes. Um, and the performances are very touching, very sensitive. Like I said, it's a small movie, but you should give it your time. Okay. Can I just ask, has like too much time go by? Am I in some sort of a time lapse thing? But wasn't Barbie and the whole Oppenheimer thing, wasn't that in this year? It was in this year. You're not mentioning that? No, it it was the peak of the summer commercial season with two movies that were 
not typical summer fare. This is the problem, one problem with the way the movie industry has worked for the last few decades where all the Oscar wannabes are backloaded to the Mm -hmm. end of the year. Mm -hmm. And it kind of wipes the slate clean of movies from earlier in the year. And And you're right. I think if you looked at the best 10 movies from the first half of the year, Barbie and Oppenheimer would have led the crowd. But it's a different mix now. I still think Barbie is a really, really unusual and and successful at what it tries to do. Movie that's going to be discussed for a long time. And Greta Gerwig is going to be able to do whatever she wants for the next two or three movies. And that's going to be interesting to see. The director. Well, there's more. There's more on the list, and we'll have it at hereandnow.org. Former Boston Globe film critic Ty Burr, who now runs Ty Burr's watch list. You can count on it. We promise you. We'll have a link to it. And again, Ty's entire list at hereandnow.org. Ty, thank you, and happiest of New Year upcoming. Yes, you as well, and to all your listeners. Are we cooking yet? Well, yeah, we are cooking. In just a moment, Deepa Fernandez takes us on a trip of culinary delights with Chef Kathy Gunst, featuring the best flavors of the year. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation. And who those accusations hurt the most. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. Listening to the news can feel like a journey, but the 1A podcast guides you beyond the headlines and cuts through the noise. Listen to 1A, where we celebrate your freedom to listen by getting to the heart of the story together, only from NPR. Here at Planet Money, we bring complex economic ideas down to earth. We find weird, fun, interesting stories that explain the way money shapes our lives. Inflation, recessions, the price of gas, we've got you. Listen now to the Planet Money podcast from NPR. As December comes to a close, we've been looking at some standout moments of the past year for our resident chef, Kathy Gunst. That means food memories, stellar dishes from restaurants here in the US as well as Italy and Mexico. She joins us now to talk about some of her favorite bites. Kathy, hi. Hello, Deepa. Set the scene for us. What makes something memorable for you? It's a lot of different elements, actually. Um, Sometimes it's a great meal and it has to do with the people I'm with, my family or friends where you sit around a table and the next thing you know, hours have gone by. Other times it's at a farmer's market where something just sparks my imagination. And often it's in restaurants, but more frequently than ever, it's not the high-end, super expensive, super fancy places that call to me. It's the more imaginative, fun, and slightly more reasonable places that really stuck with me this year. Great. Well, I love that. Let's dive in to some of your best bites. We're going to start in California, in Los Angeles, where you say you had the best 
onion rings you've ever tasted? Of my life. Um, Okay, let me set the scene. Um, Picture a sports bar with lots of big screen TVs playing everything from tennis to football. But instead of typical sports bar menu, this place called Pija Palace on LA's east side offers chicken wings, pizza, and fried foods. But they've all been reinvented with Indian spices and Big, bold flavors. So the onion Oh, that's my kind of place. They take thick, fat slices of onion, and they dip them into a dosa batter, which are made Mm. from fermented rice and lentils. They're fried to kind of crunchy perfection, and they serve them with a green mango dipping sauce. They almost look like donuts. They're so big, and the crunch and flavor... It just sent me over. But you'll also find green tikka pija, pizza, crisp green chicken wings with jalapeno, cilantro, chive, and mint. This place also has one of the most inventive cocktail menus. I don't drink much, but I was really called by the chai whiskey sour with whiskey, wow. chai, darjeeling, lemon, and egg white. And then there was a jaggery old-fashioned made with Indian whiskey, jaggery, and cardamom bitters. It's a super noisy place. It's full of life. And kind of in this land of chain restaurants and places that just take themselves way too seriously, Pija Palace is such fun. That just kind of sounds like India to me. Super noisy and full of life. You know, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Pija Palace in Los Angeles. I am putting it on my list. Now, you also tasted a kimchi stew, and that inspired you to come up with your own recipe. I did. I went to a very small, intimate little restaurant called Soban in Koreatown in Los Angeles. And the first thing you notice when you walk in there are just these shelves of oversized glass jars with fermented and pickled vegetables. You you mm. see mushrooms and ginger and cabbage and chili peppers. And we had the kimchi stew and we had the short rib stew, but the kimchi stew full of pickled and fermented flavors just warmed us up on a cool evening. It has this brilliant red color from the chilies and the spices and the cabbage. And it just felt like it would cure anything the world throws at you. So of course, the next day I went to a Korean supermarket and in LA, there are loads of them. And I got some kimchi and Korean red pepper paste and came up with this recipe. And there's a vegetarian version and there's also a version that uses marinated pork belly. And it is perfect winter food. Oh, wow. I can't wait to try that. We'll put that recipe at our website. Let's jump across the country to the East Coast, to New York. You recommend a restaurant called the Potluck Club. And oh, one of my favorite things in the world, this spicy eggplant. Tell us how they do it uh, there. Me too. Well, the Potluck Club is a Cantonese-American restaurant. It's kind of located at the intersection of New York City's Chinatown and the Lower East Side. And it is also kind of hip and fun and buzzing with energy. I tried the pork and chive pot stickers, amazing. The salt mm. and pepper fried chicken with a scallion biscuit and pickled jalapenos and chili plum jam, 
but it was the spicy eggplant with a spicy bean sauce, fried shallots, and cilantro. And the eggplant was almost silky. And then this topping of the spicy chilies, crunchy fried scallions, and fresh cilantro. It was like the most perfect blend of textures, flavor, and color. And I craved it the minute I walked out the door. Sounds amazing. Now, in your home state of Maine, you love walkers. You say you're obsessed with the side dishes there. I am. Uh, Chef Justin Walker is a really inventive cook. This is probably the most high-end place on my list. And people go to Walker's mostly to have the Maine scallops, and he does a wonderful roasted Maine salmon. But it is the wood-fired beets the lowly Mm. beet that's served Mm. with cultured cream, horseradish, maple syrup, and sea salt. And at Walker's, almost everything is cooked on open fire. When you walk into the dining room, you peek into the kitchen and you see this multi-leveled, incredible wood-burning fire pit and the beets are buried in there and they're so good. He also does a pumpkin fry. Um, So think a French fry, but made with pumpkin with ancho chilies and aioli. And somehow I convinced myself that pumpkin is way healthier than potatoes. So I ate all of them. Amazing. Now, Kathy, you got to travel for work this year, including a trip to Mexico City. Oh, what a tough job you have, Kathy. <laughs> Tell us about the memorable places you found there. There were two. One was called Contramar, which is pretty well known in Mexico City. And in particular, it was a grilled kingfish fillet with two sauces. So they fillet this fresh fish and half of it is in a deep red adobo rub. And the other half Mm. is in this brilliant green parsley rub. So it comes to the table and it's green and red and it's moist and crisp and Absolutely warm, earthy flavors, fabulous. The other place is not so well known. It's called Fonda Margarita. And this is a breakfast place that a lot of locals go to. And I had a version of chilequiles verde, which were freshly made corn tortillas with a green tomatilla sauce and a fried egg. Absolutely fabulous. There was live music. We were the only tourists in the place on a sunny Wednesday, and I felt like I had truly arrived in Mexico City. Oh, that sounds amazing. And then to the other side of the world, you went to Italy. Tell us about that and and the food discovery you made there. I did. I was lucky enough to teach there this past year, and we were walking around the little town of Santa Margarita, and we found this tiny little restaurant, and we went to order, and the waiter looked at us and said, and farinata? And we're like, what's farinata? And 10 minutes later, he arrived with this thin, golden, kind of a pancake drizzled with this green olive oil and sprigs of fresh rosemary. And it's made from milled chickpea flour. So I got some chickpea flour here and experimented with the recipe. And I think I got a pretty good version of it. Not quite as good as that charming little place in Liguria, but really delicious. Kathy, thank you so much for a year of amazing, tantalizing food. Is there anything left for 2024? Well, I think you're going to see a lot more vegetable forward eating. I think you're going to see a lot more non-alcoholic beer as well as booze and mocktails. And I also think you're going to see a lot of health 
and plant-based foods showing up on menus, but still Americans are obsessed with comfort food. So that's our dichotomy. We want health, but we want comfort. Kathy Gunst is here and now's resident chef talking about her favorite bites of 2023. And of course, we'll have all her recipes and restaurant names at our website, hereandnow.org. Kathy, thank you and Happy New Year. Thank you so much, Deepa. Happy New Year to you and to everyone. Again, we have lots of foodie favorites with Kathy Gunst recipes and more at our website. Check it all out at hereandnow.org. Next week is next year. Woohoo! Let's soar in 2024. Well, perhaps you got a better slogan kicking around, but we've got a lot coming up on Monday. We start off the new year on Here and Now Anytime with the Rocky theme. Are you standing to fight another day? We look at what to expect in the economy. Will you be able to buy a house? How about get a job or change jobs? The Rocky metaphor is so important because winning for Rocky wasn't always necessarily knocking out his opponent and actually winning the final fight. The franchise was about endurance. You want to have as many people standing when the Fed's done with its final round. Hear the whole conversation Monday, January 1st, 2024 on Here and Now, Anytime. Subscribe and follow us on the NPR app so you don't miss an episode. Coming up in a moment, we listen back to some of the music of 2023 with our Alt-Latino crew. Stay with us. You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. On the TED Radio Hour, in the middle school cafeteria, Ty Tashiro always sat with his equally nerdy buddies. The socially awkward kids who were the furthest thing from cool. And he often wondered, Why am I so socially awkward and what am I going to do about that? Now Ty is a psychologist and expert on awkwardness. And he has some answers. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. We all hear things differently, and that can be tough when there's so much noise. This election year, we're a space to speak up and to listen. Listen to 1A for the latest on election 2024, only from NPR. Numbers that explain the economy. We love them at the Indicator from Planet Money. And on Fridays, we discuss indicators in the news, like job numbers, spending, the cost of food, sometimes all three. So my indicator is about why you might need to bring home more bacon to afford your eggs. I'll be here all week. Wrap up your week and listen to the Indicator podcast from NPR. As the year winds down, it's time for another best of list. And throughout the year, we've been talking to the hosts of NPR's Alt Latino about their favorite music. And Felix Contreras and Ana Maria Sea are here to wrap up their favorite songs from 2023. Ana, Felix, welcome back to both of you. Hey, Diva. Hey, thanks for having us. So glad we can finish the year out with some great music here. So let's jump right in. We're going to start with Rawayana who performed at the Tiny Desk this year. It was such a great Tiny Desk. And Anna, one of their songs is your pick. So let's hear, this is Ora Loca, which they recorded with Monsieur Periné. 
Dad, just want to keep it going. Super vibey, just feel like dancing. And uh, this song from Rawayana, more than a few references to snacks. So, kick us off, Anna. Why did you choose this one? Well, you know, I mean, Rawayana has had a really, really wonderful year. I've, I've talked about them a few times where they're this really cool band coming out of Venezuela, um, part of kind of this wave of the, the young people from the Venezuelan diaspora who are making music that is both difficult and joyful. This is obviously on the, the fun side of what they create. And, and it's a great example because they collabed with this really wonderful band out of Mexico too, Monsieur Perine, and their styles just blend so beautifully here. It's kind of like a great emblematic thing for, for the music scene in Mexico City right now of all these kind of like Latin, pan-Latin artists collaborating. And they just, everything they do, it has like this beachy texture to it that I love to listen to. Yeah, and so many Afro rhythms kind of pulsing through there subtly, but also not so subtly. Um, But I want to slow it down a little now. Felix, you brought us a track called Mercedes Sosa. Let's listen. so different from Rawayana. <laughs> this collaboration is between Susan Alcorn and Septeto del Sur. And it's an intriguing title, Mercedes Sosa, who was, of course, the famous Argentine singer. And her music was a symbol of protest against dictators in South America. Tell us more about this song, which is named after her. And it seems kind of apropos that we're talking about it now in the aftermath of the recent Argentine elections. You know, the whole album that this comes from is a, uh, an album called a Canto. It is a, it's basically a deconstruction and a reimagining of Andean music from the perspective of the great Septepto del Sur, as well as Susan Alcorn. And Susan Alcorn is known as um, what I refer to as, you know, improvisational music, avant-garde music on this pedal steel guitar, which is used in mostly in country music, but she's adapted it to her own very distinct expression of, of improvisation. And this record really stood out to me. I'm a fan of Susan's, but this concept of of combining it with Andean music, and in particular on this cut, sort of like what Mercedes Sosa did, is like she, they're challenging what people think this music should sound like. And throughout the record, they take a lot of artistic chances. They do a lot of different things and a lot of exploration. And this is this this particular track I, I chose because of the name, but it also, like you said, it, it reflects sort of their, their call to arms, their marching orders. Like, we're going to take on what you expect and going to create something beautiful out of something mm. you've never heard before. Yeah, I mean, it is It is really beautiful. S- Felix, let's stay with you because up next we have Gracias a la Vida. 
covered by jazz singer Margot Herrera. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto me ha dado el oído que en todo su somewhat connected to your last pick here, Felix, because Mercedes Sosa made Gracias a la Vida famous across the Spanish-speaking world. Now, Herrera is a Mexican vocalist. Tell us how Herrera reimagines this song. Magos Herrera, to me, is one of my favorite jazz singers in, the, in that she approaches jazz from the traditional songs of Latin America. She, that's what she's doing here. She's reinterpreting of the Latin American songbook in a, in a very, uh, again, exploratory, unconventional way. She's working with this great orchestration, but also with the jazz trumpeter Ingrid Jensen on this track as well. And I, and I chose these two particular because they do sort of weave into each other. And I, you know, I, I geek out and do these Spotify playlists and putting these two albums together, Susan Alcorn's mm. album with, with Mago Serrera album, and you just let it go on random. Man, they fit so perfectly together because mm-hmm. they, they they really do. They're they're challenging what you expect, and they're just they're both the music, both of these musicians are at the top of their artistic form right now, and this is mm. that's why I chose these two, and that's what that song, that's what Magos's interpretation of a classic. If you're going to take on a classic, you have to redefine it in a way that make it yours, and I think she does that with this one. Okay, Felix, cat's out of the bag. Now, where do we find your Spotify playlists? What are we looking at? <laughs> just, I think all of my stuff is is public. It's just under my name, Felix Contreras. <laughs> all I right, think. all right. Got it. So, so Anna, let's get back to you for Mon Laferte's Mew Shiny from her album Auto Poetica. What? Turn off the corazón. This is just so haunting in a way, but so beautiful. I hear a desire to be seen, to be understood by a lover. And and the lyrics are really minimalist, yet so piercing. Why did it stand out to you, Anna? Uh, I mean, I am just so excited about this record. Mon is an artist. She's Chilean, but she's adopted Mexican, and she is so consistently able to reinvent herself. This track in particular is just such a beautiful, I think, exemplar of the way that she takes these really gritty contrasts. I mean, you have like those metallic production kind of like really gritty uh, sounds and, and then that that guitar that kind of carries through, like you said, the, the, the simple vocals that are simple in, in lyricism, but not in texture in the way that she delivers them. And so she's just kind of like this master of pairing all kinds of like seemingly incongruous sounds together. And you hear that across the record. I mean, she does everything from like electrocumbia to reggaeton to everything in between. So it's really like so, so exciting to see her reinvent herself once again. Finally, we're going to wrap with a track from Maria Jose Yergo. Let's listen to Tanto Tiempo from her album Altra Belleza.
So Anna, I, I kind of feel like we all use the end of year when we reflect on many things of the year past and, and our relationships with people we love. What does Maria Jose Yergo's work tell you about artistry this year? I mean, a few things. One, I think that people are really, really interested in being very forefront about this kind of uh, reflection, about this kind of vulnerability. I think that a lot of the music we've seen this year has been focused on representing very individual experiences. It's not so much about making your music or your messaging palatable for, for a wider audience, but more about representing exactly who you are and where you come from and, and letting the right audience come to you. And so it's been really beautiful to see artists, for example, like Maria Jose Yergo, who you know is from Southern Spain, who's playing with these flamenco styles in exactly her unique way, her personal way, um, be able to build and grow and find that audience is really really incredible. I love her vocal quality, um, the the builds that she uses, the melodies, the lyricism, it all just comes together in this really almost cinematic kind of way. And I don't know, in a way, I think it's it's been a year of uh, cinema in Latin music as well. A lot of mm. emotion, a lot of drama as always, but more so I think people really, really expressing themselves in, in really impactful and powerful ways. Well, you know, on behalf of all NPR audiences, I want to thank you both because you have just introduced us to and flowered our year with so much great music. Ana Maria Sea and Felix Contreras, the hosts of Alt Latino. Thank you both. Thank you so much for having us. Here's to 2024. Yeah, let's let's bring in 2024 with some great music. You can find the playlist of all the songs we've listened to with Felix and Anna this entire year at hereandnow.org. Cheers to you and your family. Here's to a new year filled with new beginnings, fresh starts, and always... Great music, great film, great food, and fabulous friends. Our family includes the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston, bringing you this podcast. Emiko Tamagawa and Gabby Healy produced today's stories. Our editors are Todd Munt, Julia Corcoran, and Kat Welsh. Technical directors are Caleb Green and Pat O'Connor. Mike Moschetto, Max Liebman, and Chris Bentley created our theme music. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. The executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. I'm Shirley Jihad. Thank you for being with us. Stay along for the ride. Subscribe. And see you in 24 with a whole lot more. Feel like the world is on fire? Shortwave is your antidote. We find joy and beauty in the science of the planet we live on, how people are taking action in the face of climate change, the many weird and wonderful ways animals have adapted to a changing world in the past and present, and how technology is pushing us forward. Listen now to the Shortwave podcast from NPR. 
With more and more information coming at you all day every day, it can be hard to know where to focus. The new Consider This newsletter from NPR can be that focus. Every weekday afternoon, we take one of the day's biggest stories and break it down in a simple, skimmable format so you can get a better grasp of one important topic and what it means for you in a couple of minutes. Sign up for free at npr.org slash consider this newsletter.